Hi, Eloise. Hello, and welcome to, I don't know what episode we're on now of our podcast. All right, you've got a bit of feedback, though. I know, it's weird. How about that, if I move it a little further away? Yeah, something weird going on. I think we're good. Good, perfect. So welcome everyone to the Dose of Truth podcast. And last time we were talking about Ariel, our beloved mermaid, and you've been researching the original story. Yes, I have. So um, the stories I was told um, didn't feel exactly right. Um, So some of the things that you heard last time... um, might be a little bit uh, different this time around. You might find, um, yeah, there are some changes. So um, in the original Hans Christian Andersen um, writing of The Little Mermaid is that she is told by her grandmother, I'll just add a few a little bit. Mm. She's told by her grandma that, you know, be satisfied with what you have. So uh, she isn't, obviously. She wants to um, become human. And she finds out that being human, you don't live very long, but you have a soul which has eternal life. And the mermaids live 300 years, uh, but do not have a soul that has eternal life. So Mm. it turns out she wants both. She wants the, the prince who she's in love with. And she wants... Um, her eternal soul to continue and she does go to Ursula and decides to follow all of the the requirements so the requirement is uh, that she walk on on these these legs these stumps they call the legs stumps and she will have pain like walking on knives So she's got to endure that pain. She also has to endure the possibility that if she doesn't marry the prince, and she will not have eternal life, she'll return to sea foam and die. She won't be able to um, have the eternal soul. And uh, thirdly, she has to sacrifice something to Ursula. Yeah. So in sacrificing to Ursula, she has to give up her tongue, which means Ursula cuts out her tongue. Nice. And so she does go through all of this. She's walking on these painful knives, which could actually make her her feet bleed. Mm. Okay. So the prince does find her on the shore and does fall in love with her and wants to marry her. So her parents want, his parents want him to marry a princess, but he says to uh, Ariel, no, I'm going to marry you. But when he goes off to meet the princess, who he says he's not going to marry, he's completely taken by her. And uh, the princess makes him feel happy. So he goes back to Ariel and says, you know, I'm going to marry the princess and I know you love me so much that you would be pleased for me and you would want me to be happy. So he does marry the princess and Ariel's heart breaks and she is 
Um, she is heartbroken, obviously. And her sisters come and tell her, take this knife and stab him in the heart and his blood will give you an immortal soul. So she takes the knife and walks into their bedroom where they're both sleeping, the prince and the princess, and she sees him and is so in love with him, she can't do it. Then she just goes off and, yeah, she basically dives into the ocean and turns into sea foam. And as she turns into sea foam, the spirits of the air come down and tell her, because you've made this sacrifice, you have earned an immortal soul and take her to have, take her as, as an eternal soul. So obviously, when you, when you look at different versions, it changes immediately our view of, the, of what our journeys are through life. So yes, we're, we're handed down wisdom from, you know, our parents and people. So, so accept, um, accept the way things are, uh, can be a piece of wisdom, but as young people need to go off in the adventure and figure things out on their own, they might want to attain some, something, uh, greater. Right. It's, it's a yeah. it's such a fine balance between feminine and masculine order and chaos. Right. You, you you hear this. You're and I'm sure you can relate. Eloise, I can. I can relate to uh, many times being being told, be satisfied with what you have. And yet the the urge, this this. Um, this chaotic sense that and, and the mind you know, working together. So the mind usually we, we denote as masculine and, and uh, the heart feminine. It's like the, um, the, the feminine rising up to say, no, no, that's, that's not the way it could be. Of course, that could go any way, right? Ooh. You could choose to uh, not listen to the advice of, of uh, people who've preceded you and have some wisdom, and it could take you down a terrible road. Right. So, you know, I've made several uh, mistakes in my life that I possibly should have listened to um, my the ad admonitions from my my parents, though, at the same time, there are things that I I came to learn from uh, the unheeded advice. It, it 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 allows that that strength of your own. Um, individuation process to to come to the surface. You're you're testing and trying, especially when you're you're not really given a full analytical or or uh, well, you could say that you know be satisfied with what you have may not give you the meaning you're seeking and and the meaning that you seek. So in in my case, I I've believed from a very young person, I'm, I'm talking about 14, 15 years old, where I had a strong sense that um, things, things changed from the bottom up, that, um, that it was up to me and that I was responsible for everything that I saw. And there's a, a professor named Jordan Peterson, I often mention him, and he, mm. he had the, he, I relate to him so much because he had the same sense, you know, that 
uh, everything I saw. So if people saw starving people in Africa, I would say, well, somehow it's my responsibility. I don't mean my burden. I don't mean my burden. Somehow the way I'm living life and how that needs to um, be somehow... Is it interrelated? Pardon? Is it more interrelated to everything rather than causing everything? Right. I'm not the cause. Uh, Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. Yeah, I don't think I've verbalized this. so It's interesting. It's coming up. Um, I'll need to learn how to verbalize (laughs) that. Um, It's, if I'm polarized, let's say, by something out there, and I'm polarized by it, then, then I'm now, the way I look at it is I'm now part of the polarization problem. When, you know, two sides of an idea can both be valid. They, they you know, you, you, you can have so many different things out there, you know, they, they talk about liberal, we talk about conservative. Can you imagine just having one side? Yeah, they, yeah they, it doesn't good. work. You need the two of them. So you're on masculine and feminine. If I just say I'm, I'm going to be in my feminine and only do... Um, things that are feminine, well, there would be chaotic, emotional uh, kind of energy running around. No, it needs to be anchored somehow by the masculine, and the masculine also needs to be anchored by the feminine. So if I'm only in my masculine, then I won't have the disruption that's essential to making change. So that goes right back to uh, Ariel's grandmother saying, well, just be satisfied with what you have. If you just follow the masculine, you just follow that that um, um, that apparent rule for life, and you don't question it, and you don't see whether it's it's valid or not. You don't discover it. You don't you don't go through the suffering that's required to understand. Then then you just accept something which is not acceptance. It's actually resignation. Yeah. So so there's some kind of urging from within to say, well, there's something not quite right with that. It's it's really safe. Be satisfied with what you have. It's really you like if you were satisfied with everything in life, you wouldn't question it, you just put up with things, and that could even go to abuse. You could be being abused and you're like, Well, I should be satisfied that I've got a roof over my head and a partner or whatever. Exactly. Exactly. you know that it would be so limiting to just be satisfied and to not to seek and explore and want to see if there's other options right and you know one of the things that that you know people often say to me well you just can't hurt people or you can't kill people well of course not there's certain things we know personally that are not good for us but then you could say um you know a kid wants to experience drugs Mm. Right. Or, you know, which may not be good for them at all and which could, you know, totally destroy their lives or, um, you know, one of the most difficult, difficult, difficult ideas today or, or not ideas, but situations um, that we've kind of covered and we don't know quite how to deal with them is, you know, how how to be a female, have a child and also have a career. These, these things are not easily resolvable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I resolved it in my own way, you resolved it in your own way, but it doesn't mean I would go around propagating that. 
Yeah, that doesn't mean it's the only way. Right. It's not, it's definitely not the only way. And there are a lot of discoveries to be made, right? Um, And and taking into account uh, considerations like, well, you know, as you get older, the likelihood of having a child gets harder. Um, When you're younger, it's easier to stay up all night and care for a child. Um, Is it better? These are just questions I ask. Is it better to have a child between 20 to 30? Now your child's older so you can start going to school part time. I know someone who did it that way, you know, um, got married, had her children early and then started to gain her degree. And by the time I think she was 38, she had a PhD. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and you do that through marriage. And of course you, you do that through, well, the husband or the, the, anyone who plays the masculine role in the family where as the provider would end up, you know, giving that, that part. So you've got, oh, I'm, I'm raising my child, but I'm also, uh, taking care of my future. And it's, you know, you cannot, we as women cannot reject the idea that we're the ones who are going to have children. That's yeah, what happens. And then, <laughs> and then you have to make huge decisions. Like, you know, from what I've learned recently, 18 months is a really good um, time to breastfeed. So, yeah. you know, if you're in the middle of a career at 35, and if you are lucky enough to have a child at 40 uh, without any congenital disorders, um, you know, how do you take off 18 months if you've got a high-powered career? Yeah, you can't. It's difficult. You you can't do that. You're gonna, you're going to. Um, you might get a year, but not eighteen months. Well, you might even have it because you're you're very wealthy. Maybe you're extremely wealthy. That's fine too. You could make a lot of money and use the eighteen months to stay home. Yeah. But your career suffers. Mm. You know that you can't say you leave a career for eighteen months and let's say you have clients or um, you're not updated on you know what's going on now. Eighteen months is a long time to kind of disappear from your work, right? Yeah. So these, Especially these are, as things move so fast in life. Exactly, and these are realities. They're not kind of fantasies where you can just just think up uh, some dreamy image of what it's going to be like that, you know, well, I'll disappear from my career and I won't keep learning. I mean, that that's, it, it, it's just fantasy. And saying that, you know, people should be accepting of that is also ridiculous too. They've moved forward, they've done things. Uh, you can't do that. So it's quite a conundrum. You know, it's not an easy solution. And each person has to sit down and figure out what they're going to do. But, you know, one of the shames that, that I see is someone waits long enough and then isn't married and tries to find a partner and it becomes realistically more difficult to find Mm. a partner. It's it's not like every woman's going to find a partner. There's so many women, you know, being born and coming up. So, you know, a a 20 year old boy (laughs) doesn't have to get married and have a baby. He can wait till he's 40 or 50 and, and have a child. It's not uh, biologically, it's not the same for women. So we have different concerns and different ideas we have to contend with. So that's, that's, that's huge uh, for women. So just saying there's a reality and a, which is kind of what we were covering last time. If you looked at the story uh, differently, 
It depends on the telling of the story, right? It's going to relate a different uh, situation. So in this case, she's she's definitively um, exploring and let's say um, an aphorism about life you should accept. And she decides I'm not going to accept. I'm not going to um, resign myself and I'm going to continue this this seeking for what gives me a form of meaning, I would say, it would give her meaning to have this relationship, meaning to have a soul. It's it's something, uh, again, as I said, it gave me deep meaning to work with one person at a time to help them um, individuate, to find their their own journey in life, and that each doing this with each person would give them the responsibility for their lives. And ultimately, that changes the world. Mm -hmm that changes the world. It, it also, you know, there are people who um, are, are unable to do that too, which I have, you know, deep compassion for. So if I'm able to help one person at a time, we create a society from the bottom up that, that is responsible not only for themselves, but for the disenfranchised. Right. So, you know, this is one thing I find quite difficult. Um, no one's given me a good argument for why it should come from from above. So the same as the, the mother in in The Little Mermaid says, you know, just accept what is. It's the same as someone telling me, no, 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 let let other people figure this out for you and tell you what it's like. Yeah. Like, no, no, I, I can't see that the individual and their individual capacity to to find meaning in life and being responsible for themselves and for those who who are disenfranchised. Right. The healthier you have a family. I don't care what that family looks like, meaning I don't care if it's two men. I don't care if it's two women. I don't care if it's whatever that that each individual is responsible for their own actions and they make a good family and that family is able to support community. I don't need somebody telling me how I should be, right? It's rather shocking to me that, you know, from 15 years old to, to feel this way and to be almost 60 and look at the world and the world tells tells me not everyone of course there are many people who are like you and I and um, there's hundreds of thousands of people following uh, Jordan Peterson uh, because they know this to be something that the individual wants to have but the moment we get into a place where we're saying somebody else should designate um, well let's say our speech or designate uh, how we should live, uh, tell us exactly what we require. Um, it, it becomes control and it confines uh, the capacity for the individual to express themselves. And of yes. course, as I'm saying, this does not um, leave people out in the cold. It's, it's, it, to me, it's the most inclusive way of looking at people. I think, th I, I you know, looking at this, that if somebody from above, so my parents or your parents or anyone's parents are telling us how to live, well, that that disenfranchises the part of us that has a different way of living. So mm -hmm. here's the Little Mermaid showing us that. So, so as much as she's going to suffer, right, as much as I've suffered in my life for um, 
expressing what what seems to me to be the way to be um, supportive of myself and others, even though some people say that's not supportive. We need somebody to take care of us. We need someone to tell us how to live. That doesn't mean there aren't any rules to living, but those rules are often explored and you see if they're true for you. You know, if you hear a rule like just accept things as they are, right away my body slumps. Mm. I've been doing this for years with people. What you just said, listen to how you feel about it. Yeah. So I was not surprised when Jordan Peterson said, uh, don't say things that make you feel weak. Right. Of course not. We do, this is the root of most of the work that we're doing is, is to feel strong. And as soon as you feel strong, there's no weakness. There's no trigger. There's no overreaction. You, you found something that has a deep sense of what's, what's right for you. So that's how I see the little mermaid. She comes out and finds out what, what feels right for her, even though it's gonna cause her enormous suffering and she needs to make sacrifices. And she makes those sacrifices without knowing what will happen to her. Yeah. At all, she has no clue. She knows what she wants and she goes out after it. And also she knows what's right for her and keeps making choices that are right for her um, or make her feel strong. No matter how much pain she's going to experience with these knives in her legs and not having her tongue and the possibility that she won't um, marry him I mean, who knows? It might, it might not happen. She's willing to endure that suffering, right? And we, we endure particular suffering when we, when we know something is right. Oh, this is a hard one, huh? So yeah. I mean, well, I was, I was talking about this with a client earlier. You know, she's just been through a hard time, and it's that we have such a society now sometimes where if someone's sad, it's like, oh, cheer up or fix yourself or feel better. And it's like, well, no, we've got to go into the emotion sometimes and sit with the pain and be in it. And and we'll get through it a lot quicker than just trying to squash it down all the time. And it, Yeah, it's certainly my new favorite word, tergiversation, tergiversation, which okay. means an evasion of straightforward action. So, so when you have an emotion, the moment you say buck up, feel better, you're immediately evading exactly what is required. Yeah. And, and she does the same thing. Well, just accept the way things are. Well, no, I'm not going to evade what's going on within me. I'm going to look within. This is, this is the personal responsibility that we have towards ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. No matter... We've got, no to, matter. we've got to be responsible or able to respond to our own feelings about what's happening to us, what we want, and, and honor that and not ignore it. Or even more aptly, what gives us meaning, right? It gives me meaning to, to have these conversations with you. It gives me meaning to help someone find their own meaning. 
it gives me it gives me meaning to say I'm doing this work for myself to better understand the world and better understand myself and take thorough deep responsibility for myself which means that that transforms everything yeah you know there's a huge difference between alchemy and magical thinking yes right magical thinking is well you know i've got this idea i'm just going to do it and i'm not going to figure out what my responsibility is in it so so over the years you know i've seen people uh, try to start a business and they can't do it well because there's this magical thinking that oh once you get the loan from the bank and you put every you you buy everything and you set up shop it's all going to work out well not necessarily you might be really lucky but that's not it's not magical thinking it's definitely alchemical and with every new thing that you learn there's an alchemy if you're unable to to do that which you know some people are just not designed to do that you know, there's, there's actual personality, uh, like, like there's uh, conservatives and liberals, let's say. Liberals can start businesses, conservatives run them. Yeah. Right? So you can kind of see that, you know, someone who has a small business like you and I, we have both components going on. That's why we can make a go of it. But if you've got someone who, who has no conservatism, and is ready to start a business, they might do it, but it might not run. Yeah. And if somebody's totally conservative, they're just going to keep, you know, avoiding starting a business. Why would I do that when I can work for someone else? Yeah. So, so you need this. It's like the interplay of the masculine and feminine and yeah. interplay of your conservative and liberal side. Without those things, likely it, it won't happen. Mm. Yeah, right. I, have a, I have quite a few friends who would be really good in their own businesses or running like small consultancies, but they won't take the risk to do it. Right. Yeah. And, and they're, like, oh, they're you're more so conservative. Yeah. Yeah. They're more likely conservative. Yeah. And you so know, they look and, at me and, and go, oh, you're such a risk taker. And I'm like, I, I don't see it in that way. <laughs> right. You don't see it that way. And, and that's where. Um, here's where the change in accept things as they are. You know, if someone is conservative and finds it a risk to go into business, which could be, but, you know, with enough people who've gone into business who have this blend between liberal and conservative, they don't find it a risk. Yeah. You, know, you you may not be as successful as you would be if you were in business, which I've talked about quite in depth in the past videos that, uh, sorry, podcast, wherein, you know, I did work for a company and, um, and I was offered uh, a lot of money to stay and that, why not stay? You know, if I, if I had stayed, obviously, you know, I would have earned a lot more money up to now. It's, yep. it's not hard to predict, but I would have been miserable. Yeah, it's the same with me. If I'd stayed in the corporate world and taken just another job or another contract after my last one, I, I couldn't do it anymore. I just physically couldn't do it. <laughs> no, you, yeah, physically you just can't do it. So sometimes you have to accept the way things are. We're the kind of people who say, 
I physically can't do it. Even even if I'm going to take a pay cut. Yeah. Yes. It, I, I'd rather I'd rather something that gives me meaning than something that, you know, gives me money. Because, you know, it's a strange thing, but money, throwing money at something doesn't solve the problem. You know, saying, well, if you, uh, I remember when I was my, young, my grandmother used to say, hey, you know, why don't you just get a government job? And the idea was so abhorrent to me that I just went, there's no way I could get just a government <laughs> job to go into. Uh, no, I need to do something else. And um, of course, you, you look at it and go, well, you'd be guaranteed um, paid vacations, whereas we don't have paid vacations and we hardly take time off. You have days off all year. Uh, you have uh, benefits, right? Dental and um, massages and all kinds of things that we don't have benefits for. And yet th there's no temptation. Yeah. None whatsoever. Uh, no, no temptation to do that. Because uh, it, it just, it, it's meaningless. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely meaningless that someone's going to pay for my massage and I get to live my entire life in something that doesn't give me meaning. It doesn't mean it wouldn't give someone else meaning. I'm not I'm not critiquing, so I'm just saying yes. that there are certain things yeah. that we have to accept the way they are. So some people are going to be conservative and they don't open a business and that's fine. In that case, we accept the way things are. And that give, but when you look at the fairy tale, that's what gives you happiness. Yeah. That's what, what gives you pleasure. It's acknowledging your strengths and talents and how you're wired and doing right. something that matches that. Exactly. So those are things I accept as they are. I accept as it is that this is the way I am. And so what? I don't, you know, I don't have the money I could have had or the benefits I could have had or I could have retired three years ago. It's, it's, it, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah. What would I have done if I had retired three years ago? I probably would have continued what I'm doing now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wouldn't have changed. So it's just like winning the lotto again, right? You win the lotto and it doesn't mean you change. If you're the type of person who saved money when you won the lotto, you'll continue to save money. If you're the type of person who was broke and you win the lotto, you'll likely be broke, if not in more debt by the end yeah. of the few years, right? It's mad, isn't it? Yes, it's, it's mad, but we kind of accept the way things are, which, you know, tells us, okay, there are certain things we'll have to uh, contend with, and your, your misery can't be involved with, well, you know, it happens to a lot of people. Let's say you lose an arm, uh, you can say, I'm completely miserable about that. But usually, you know, people who lose a limb after about a year, I think it is, um, they have the same happiness as anyone else. Yeah. Right. So, so what is that suffering? Well, you know, in, in, in duality or in Anna yoga or um, self inquiry, we understand that it's the mind, right? If the mind wasn't in the way, you'd think nothing of it. You would continue as you are. Yeah. But I won't, I will not diverge there because I just want to go back to, uh, the Little Mermaid, who, um, who does follow this, uh, let's call it an urging, um, but this sense of what's giving her meaning, 
right? So she's gaining something she's found will give her meaning, this eternal life of the soul and to have this partner, despite what sacrifices, which is, you know, how I paralleled our sacrifices that we've made to do what gives us meaning. Mm. It's it's definitively meaning, not, oh, you know, I'm going into business because, you know, I'm going to have a small business because that's going to give me more freedom. That's that's completely delusional. <laughs> it definitely right? doesn't always do that. <laughs> no, it doesn't. If, <laughs> once you have a business, you're functioning in many roles. You're not functioning in one role like you are when you have a job, right? Um, you may take on more roles at your job. That's possible, but it's going to depend on the temperament and personality of the individual. But uh, business is not something where you just say, well, you know, I'm really lucky I make my own hours. No, you're constantly at beck and call of new technology. You're at beck and call of um, what are new ways to work with your clients? What are new ways of dealing with advertising? You know, um, yeah, I was, I was always, you know, sort of on that. I know nothing about computers, but I was always on that edge where, in 1995, I built my website immediately, knowing nothing about uh, computers. I didn't, I didn't build it myself. I yeah. had someone do that. Um, but yeah, I've been an online presence for 23 years, and I know nothing about any of this. You know, <laughs> so you know, I didn't advertise it. I didn't build it up. But now you have to. Yeah. Now you you have to to have an interactive online presence it's not like i can sit in my office and just say that's how i'm gonna run run the show yeah just put a sign outside i'm here yeah come and knock yeah exactly so um the little mermaid obviously makes huge sacrifices right including pain and suffering which, you know, I, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but the times you're experiencing pain and suffering in your work and it's not working, like, oh, my God. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. some people are so lucky that they just have a job, right? And you, you're, you keep going to this job and it gives you all these benefits and you think, did I make a mistake? You know, th- there were times in the worst of things that I went, wow, I would have been in such a different place. Yeah. But of course, still wouldn't do it. Yeah, I always look at the potential of where I can get. (laughs) We'll get there eventually. Right. So she goes off and does that. Yeah, but it's fascinating because she goes through all of this, giving things up and all the pain and suffering, and she never knows if she's going to get her outcome. No, she doesn't. Nor do we. Nor do we. No, we never do. And it reminded me, I had a boyfriend when I got together with him. He was like, promise me you'll never leave. And I was like, I can't do that. Do you know? And I was just like, in that moment, I'm like, are you insane? <laughs> like, you want the outcome, like nail. <laughs> like, we haven't even started dating. I'm like, well, it's mad. Well, it seems mad, but yeah, it's the way the mind works, right? It, it has fear of any sort of change, even though we seek change. Yeah. We, we fear the changes. Yeah. Right? Which is so prevalent in The Little Mermaid, right? They, 
she has to go through massive transformation and change to to get what she wants so the the love that she has for him um you know is ultimately superseded by her own soul and what what she actually wants she doesn't she refuses to to be malevolent she could have yeah she could have survived become a human but of course not realizing she would go to hell not to heaven right (laughs) so even without knowing that somehow she knew how to be virtuous which is such an important topic is how do you know whether you're good or not you can't just say you're good yeah which which a lot of people do they just say well i'm good uh this is a good person that's a good person i hear all the time and uh it's so meaningless yeah because people say oh that's a good person and you're looking at them going well they've just broken the law and you know (laughs) it's like what Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah that's you awesome. like them. Then <laughs> you're saying they're a good person, but it just means you get on with them and you like them. Or yeah, when when someone's a serial killer and and everyone says they seem like a normal, nice person. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost the inadequacy of nice, right? The seeking uh, happiness, seeking being nice, seems to be the most superficial meaning in life. Yeah. Right, so someone presents to you, well, just be satisfied and be nice. Oh, my word, I want to slip my wrist. <laughs> yeah, I agree, I want to slip my wrist too. <laughs> or stab myself in the head with a, you know, a nail and crack it open. Because what, where in heaven's name does this have, does this have anything to do with the, um, with the suffering that we're going to experience and why are we hiding the suffering? Yeah. Why bother hiding suffering? We know it's there. We know it's going to happen. You know, we don't have to sit around being afraid of it, but at the minimum, you know, take responsibility for yourself and and not make it worse. Right. Yeah. It seems that just putting a a band-aid, not seems to it is it's a coping mechanism for yep. the suffering in life right just be nice just be kind and then just smile that, yeah that's going to be the band-aid that that we place on the uh, on our wounds so that we'll be you know supposedly happy yeah and of course it doesn't work i mean think of how many people are on on medication these days you know it seems that that the lack of responsibility of, of each individual. Um, and I'm not saying everyone's irresponsible. Many of us are, are responsible. But when we say put a coping mechanism on it, like Band-Aid, we're clearly delineating irresponsible action. Like you said before, you know, someone's upset. You don't say, well, just get over it. No, let's let's pay attention to the upset and see what it has to say. Yeah. See why it's coming up. Right. So I don't know about you, but when I work with clients, oftentimes there's anxiety. And let's say I start asking questions that get to the anxiety. The first thing is, okay, I'm feeling anxious. How do I get rid of it? Yeah. Well, no, the the problem might not necessarily be just anxiety. Then the the whole thing is underneath. 
is your your existence your your whole existence is suffering that's how you end up in anxiety right well i'm not saying that's the only reason but there definitely has a mass of tentacles going through all aspects of life and somewhere along the line we've done the basic evasion of what it is that gives us personal meaning and how to take those steps to give a child let's say the the boost upward so that they can they can face things they can um they can find out for themselves what's going on and what they're capable of doing rather than putting all these um safety mechanisms yeah uh, on a child which actually debilitates them yeah it's like don't climb up there because you might hurt yourself but they need to climb up there to learn how to climb and fall and exactly so much yeah or what about time components right oh let me do that for you because you're too slow enough well they don't necessarily say you're too slow but they're intimating that you're too slow it'll be faster if i do it yeah no you tie your shoes and if it's going to take you half an hour then it takes you half an hour it's such a childish notion right yeah. You know, my brother was younger than me, so he couldn't tie his shoelaces very fast. So, you know, as a little kid, a, a five-year-old kid, I go, something's wrong with his brain. He can't tie his shoes. <laughs> and my mother would say, no, he's just younger than you, right? And then I watched my brother do the same thing with with my little sister. She can't tie her shoes. Something must be wrong with her. You know, we go, no, she's just younger. <laughs> and, younger. You know, but when an adult does it, we say, that's okay. No, you're actually... Uh, ignorant yourself, not realizing, no, the child's got to do it. They've got to figure it out. They've got to repeat it. They've got to do it over and over again. And eventually they'll be able to do it. Why fast has anything to do with anything is beyond me. What what does speed have to do with learning? But we're obsessed with time. We're obsessed with time. Obsessed. It's... It's insane. <laughs> I say that a lot on these. It's insane. But yeah, it's like that whole time thing. It's like everything has to be quick and speedy and I want instant fixes. And when I come to you for one session, I want everything to be resolved. Exactly. And I want the session to be really long as well because it's oh, too short. And you know what's really funny is when I originally used <laughs> to do these, these channeled readings that I did, um, there was they were so filled that they would take two, three hours and they were so filled with information that dealt with someone's entire life. Yeah. You know, and I'd say, okay, these are all the things you need to work with. So start one by one. And, you know, usually they would, they were like, no, it's not enough. I want some, and like, no, you're going to have to work one by one. And of course, a decade later, I'd often get a phone call and they'd say, well, I figured it all out. Yeah. That's why, you know, future readings are not very good. <laughs> They're just a story, yeah. right? It's so much better to work with a fairy tale and see which story you're telling yourself right now in your life and realize that story's not going to work. So let's say somebody wants a partner and they, like you said, your partner said, don't ever leave me, right? So if, if Ariel is saying, don't ever leave me, you've got to be with me, she's going to have more undue suffering. And likely 
likely the malevolence, malevolence would come up. You could just imagine, she, you know, if she didn't have the, uh, this, this um, part of the deal where the minute he marries someone else, she, her heart would be broken and she turned to sea foam, you know, she could have spent her time trying to break the marriage apart. Yeah. You know, plotting to make it awful. Uh, of course, it's compressed in the story to a very immediate situation where you're given, oh, you could actually bring your malevolence to the surface and you could kill him and have what it is that you ultimately want, which is this, this soul. Mm. And of course, she chooses, she gets to see her own malevolence and see goodness. And that's the only time you know you're good. Mm. Right is when you when you're able to see how terrible you can be. Yeah. You how perspective? Yeah, like like a, the the devouring mother who thinks that everything she's doing, or the vampire mother, I I like better, but <laughs> you know the vampire mother who says, "Well, you know, I do everything for you, so." you better obey me and serve me. And, and the child loses their capacity to uh, become their own person. Right? Yeah. And, and the mother feeds off of that, where the child is basically destroyed. Um, right. It's the, so, so the, the, the child is, uh, as we all were, is this, you know, full, whole human being. And we become fragmented through the masks that we wear. And you could say the most um, prevalent emotion is fear, right? Or the, the one that's under everything is fear. And fear tells us, well, if I do what I want, I'm going to lose the love of my parents. If I do what I want, I lose the love of my partner. Not realizing all along that those are just, um, well, they're just lies we tell ourselves to keep everything the same. So we don't have to face any transformation or any change. And that's where Ariel you know, reigns supreme, you could say. She faces all of the possible manifestations of change in such dramatic ways so that she ultimately gets what gives her meaning. And she's given, she's given a soul. She, uh, you know, such a, a great story on, on the discovery of malevolence, right? Yeah. It's, 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 you really get to look at yourself and see what you would do to get what you want. Yeah. I think it would. I think it would be malevolent towards self, if if you and I stayed in in companies and were unhappy. Yeah, you know, it would not only be malevolent towards self, but we wouldn't be happy in the company. No. So, so how great is that for the people you work with, for the people who pay you? Right. We. So that is where the irresponsibility lays. If I'm not responsible to myself and do what is what is required for myself, then I'm also spreading that irresponsibility to everyone else. Oh, I don't like this at the company, so I'd like mm. you to change it so you could make me feel better. Yeah. 
right? You must make me happy. You must make me happy. As, and again, as though happiness is any kind of virtue to be, um, or any kind of meaning, right? And, yeah. and why I say it has no meaning is because it, what does happiness mean? And it's there, kind of empty, no, isn't it? Without yeah. any. And, and, and what's any passion what is, or drive or meaning to it? It would just be empty in some ways. I mean, it is empty. You're, you're. That's a great way to put it. It's, it has no meaning. I don't, I don't. When someone says, "Are you happy? Aren't you happy?" Like, I don't understand what you mean. But when I'm doing something like we're doing now, or or writing, or working through a session, or discovering more about a fairy tale in tarot. I'm filled with meaning and enthusiasm. Yeah. So content. does that make Sometimes me... I feel content with what I'm doing. And if I'm enjoying it and there's contentment, then that's all I'm craving. Yeah, or I'm just in it. And yeah. I don't notice anything else is happening. So the moment someone says, are you happy? You take me out of the very engagement, full, 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 full engagement in the experience that I'm having. Complete, utter I am no longer, um, as an individual, separate from the object. Yeah. This is this is what is so interesting that when I'm I'm not an individual separate from the object. If I become separate from the object, then you know something else happens. I'm I can be triggered or I I I I lose my. Well, I can't say I lose my train of thought because sometimes something's happening inside me that I lose I lose the words, but I'm deeply involved in whatever's going on inside me for these words to come to the surface. Right? I'm I'm doing the the work that and it's it's playful at the same time. It's all combined that gives me the meaning to do what I do. I don't I don't do this because I'm supposed to. I don't do this because I have to. I don't do this because I'm, I'm forced into it. Or, um, and and we're doing this for free. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's no, you know, I love it that this gives so much meaning and it has no financial reward. Not yet. Hopefully, in the future, people will want to support us so yeah. we can we can of continue course. doing That's what amazing. we're doing. Yeah, yeah. But it's not the financial reward that gets you to do it. No. Which is fascinating, right? Yeah. Everyone's talking about this mindfulness thing and getting in the moment. But when you're doing something like that, you are in the moment. You are. I am. We are. Clearly, I am (laughs) in in the moment. Well, there isn't even a moment. Which fascinates me. You know, when I hear someone say live in the moment, I'm like, well, I don't. Moment, moment, moment. It's gone. It's gone. You know, it's gone. One after the other. It's it's, no, I, I'm in the, the, I'm in timelessness. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there is no time. There is no moment. There is no me and there is no other. There's just isness or beingness, those terms people have coined. Mm. There's, there's just sort of being in the zone or um, totally blissed out, right? You know, I, I have to say, this is blissful. This is d- doing this work is blissful. It's not, oh my God, you know, it's like calculating your taxes, which is just, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but I, I have to say, even when I get into the zone of calculating numbers, then time goes away. I was going to say, every year when I sit down to do my tax return, 
and get stuck into it, I enjoy the process. Once you're in it, right? Yeah. yeah but once, once you get you're... started, you know, it's fine. Or, or, or when something, uh, there's a cog in the wheel of calculating and you can't find something, then there's right away I'm separated. So I become an individual with an object. It's like, where is that darn paper, right? And you start, so there's separation immediately and you're triggered. And then you kind of look around and go, what do I need? Do I need to have a little lunch? Do I need a break? Do I need to breathe? You know, what, what, do I, what do I need to do? And then once you find that piece of paper, you're, you're, you're back in this, this zone again, mm. right? So, so it's so important that there's no, no, the, the understanding of the lack of separation between the individual, the object, but also from time, right? It's, it, it's, it's completely overreactive if we're completely separated, right? Just, yeah. just the word I have to separates me from the zone. Yeah. And, I, and it, it, it's often what people say to me all the time, but, I, but that's all fair and nice, Terry Ann, but I have to do things. And, and it's like a, a lack of comprehension or a lack of deep, uh, I, let's put it this way, deep understanding that you're not doing what gives you meaning. You're doing something that is separate from yourself. Hmm. You know, you're raising a child and you have to do this. I have to give them a bath. I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to. What a terrible way to raise a child. Can, so can you turn that around? You can find meaning in things and in tasks. So like I, think the, I, I think the meaning, let, let me speculate hmm. this for a moment. I, did, I, I feel the meaning is in me, not in the task. Yeah. The task is an outpouring of the meaning, right? So... Um, I don't think washing dishes gives me meaning. No. No, but I don't, I don't have a separation from the task unless I'm overstressed. Yeah. So what's giving me meaning? Well, caring for my home. Having you know, a nice clean making, space. Yeah, making it pleasant to be in, not having a stack of dishes everywhere that gives me meaning it's well beauty gives me meaning mm. so so when i'm involved in creating beauty in my kitchen i'm in the zone there's no separation between me and the object if i'm if i'm with children i'm i'm with children and it gives me meaning to just be at play or whatever's required but there isn't a separation mm. so so the moment we're separated there's something within us that tells us there's a wound. Yeah. There, there's something, there's something that we have not looked at. And, you know, the little mermaid clearly tells us that um, her seeking a soul is, was, was paramount to finding the relationship. In the Disney version, you could say there was the marriage between the feminine and masculine, but in the original version, um, which which is fine, you know, it's you can you can look at these these themes and stories, you know, if if you actually find uh, the 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 man in your life like Cinderella, and the and the man finds the woman and the masculine and feminine are married, that that gives us that's a form of meaning. Mm. 
Mm. It changes everything. It changes everything to understand your own masculine and feminine. It's, it's, I'm not saying it's the only way to discover everything, but this is how I've been working for 23 years Um, because of my intense study of the tarot from 1971, from the time I was 11 years old and um, working with them and understanding uh, it's somehow what I was, uh, was attracted to that it it gives deep meaning. Um, Well, it supports our meaning in life. That's what I mean that we understand what the masculine and feminine within is doing. So Cinderella does that at the end of um, the Disney version of uh, the little mermaid does that, but the Hans Christian Andersen version uh, tells us that there's something that has deeper meaning uh, to us, not, not necessarily deeper than masculine and feminine necessarily, but the, the deep meaning that she has found and that's what gave her the understanding that she's good what her goodness is and what her badness her malevolence would be Mm. right so so she discovered something about herself that gave her that virtue it's 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 uh illustrated by you know having a soul but the only way you can have a soul is to know what's good and bad just saying you're good doesn't it's it's soulless yeah i'm a happy good person it, it doesn't sound i don't feel very strong when i hear that no i don't feel that's true in any way it's just completely soulless so when i when i know about my soul because well you know one of the things we know about the soul is it's con- constantly transmuting ignorance so if we're constantly transmuting ignorance, we have to know what that ignorance is. And often that ignorance is malevolence. If you just put a label on yourself that says you're good, there's no way you're going to transmute the malevolence, not only of yourself, but of everyone. Because we know that the past lives are not necessarily our personal past lives, but we pick up those past lives. Now everybody's going to think we're so weird about past lives. I don't care whether they, I don't care whether there's an existence or not, but there is a collective. And in that collective, all those stories exist. And we are constantly transmuting those stories. So I don't care whether it's a past life or not. But metaphorically, we understand that there are stories we have not transmuted. And you can just look at your life and see there are stories you haven't transmuted. There are stories that you want vengeance on. You have stories that you have, um, you're, you're unhappy with. You still have resentment. Those things must be transmuted. So the fairy tales are great ways to do that. Yeah. So it's a great journey. I'm looking forward to seeing what we're going to do next. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I never know what's going to happen. <laughs> Great talking to you and we'll catch up next week. We will, love. Bye. Okay, Thank bye. you. Bye.